once you profess faith, the sun's coming up. As soon as you profess that faith, the sun is coming up, and that sun is coming up to show you the genuineness or the disingenuineness of that faith. The first thing for us to notice here is the role of the sun in the passage. The sun, S-U-N, the role of the sun in the passage. Notice with me what it is that causes the death of the plant. It's very important that we see that the death of the plant is not brought upon by the sun. The sun is not the cause of death of the plant. Jesus says it very plainly. The plant died. Why? Because it had no root in itself. That was the cause of death of the plant. We talk about, you know, something dies and you want to know what was the cause of death. The cause of death of the dead, withered up plant was the fact that the plant had no root. It had no root because of the soil in which it grew. The sun is the occasion for that. The sun brings it about, but the sun didn't cause the death of the plant. The sun was the occasion that the plant died. In other words, the plant was doomed from the start. It didn't matter how gentle the sun would have been. It didn't matter how much water the plant got. It didn't matter how much care the plant got. If somebody came and pulled out all the weeds around it, put a little little stake up to hold it upright, none of that mattered. The plant was going to die. It was simply the sun that brought about the death of the plant. So the plant dies because of a lack within itself, and the lack is the lack of roots. And the lack of root is due to the type of soil. So the sun is the occasion for the death of the rootless plant. Now, so from this point, let's begin thinking about the plant as a profession of faith, because that's how Mark wants us to see the plants. Each plant represents something like a profession of a faith, a declaration of a faith. So three of the four soils are going to have a plant. One soil has no plant at all. That was the hard-packed soil from last week. No plant, no profession, didn't receive it whatsoever. But three of the soils received the seed sufficiently to have a plant. And that plant that springs forth, we can think of it as a receiving of the word and a professing of the faith, of the belief of the word that is received. So this profession of faith is going to die a death that is not due to anything outside of it, but it is due to its own lack of root. So now notice with me how the sun is going to play a certain role for us in the story. And that role is that the sun is a very accurate revealer of the plant. It's a very accurate revealer of the nature of the soil, or to put it another way, it's a very accurate revealer of a profession of faith. So the sun we're going to see in the parable represents, Jesus has already explained it to us, it's going to represent tribulation and persecution. And that tribulation, that persecution, or to to use it in the words of the parable, the Son reveals the character of the profession of faith or reveals the nature of the faith. It's a very accurate revealer of that. So think with just how often we see this sort of thing, not only in in our life around us, but think how often we see this in the Scriptures. How it is that the Son of someone's life 
reveals the faith that's already present or not present at all. Think about, for example, Ruth. Story of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Remember Naomi? Naomi, who has left her home of Bethlehem because of the famine, and she goes to Moab. And in Moab, she loses her husband and her two sons. And how does Naomi respond to that? She responds by saying, when she comes back to Bethlehem, you know, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Marah. Why? Because the Lord has been very bitter to me. My mouth is full of the bitterness of how God has treated me. Now compare that by comparison to the response of Job, who experiences similar son in his life. In fact, we could say much stronger son. He not only loses his children, he loses his home, he loses his crops, he loses his flocks, he loses his health. And compare his response. His response is one to say, Naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So you see how the same son, or at least a very similar son, brings out or draws out of two different people, two different reactions, and by so doing, it reveals the faith or the nature of the faith or the nature of the profession of faith that's present in the person. Think with me of so many other examples. Think of Abraham, we're told in Genesis chapter 22 that God tested Abraham. How did he test Abraham? Abraham, you know that child of promise? You know the one that you've been waiting for for more than a decade? You know the one on whom all of my promises to you hinge? Take him up to the mountain and kill him. And we're told specifically that God is testing Abraham there. The writer to the Hebrews says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, what did he do? offered up his son Isaac, thereby proving the nature or the character of the faith that was in his heart. Or 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found, you see the showing, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a testing of faith And then there's a result. The result is that you see, you perceive, you understand the nature, the character of the faith that's present. Or James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There is a type of faith that's when when it's tested, when the sun comes up, it produces steadfastness. There's another type of faith, so to speak, air quotes, that when that's tested, it doesn't produce steadfastness. It produces something else. Or later on in verse 12, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You see how there's a a demonstration there, a revealing of the nature of the faith that's within the person. So the first takeaway is this. Our Lord desires for every professor of faith, and by professor, don't think college professor, think one who professes, everyone who professes, every professor of faith, our Lord desires that everyone knows the genuineness or the disingenuineness of the faith they profess. God is the one who causes the sun to rise, the literal sun and the metaphorical sun, right? The metaphorical sun, which represents the tribulation and the persecution, as well as the literal sun that's lighting the sky right now. God is the one who causes that to rise. And so God is the one who causes to rise the metaphorical son in the parable that serves the purpose of revealing 
the nature or the character of the profession of faith that the plant or the person is making. And God does that because He doesn't desire for anyone who professes faith to not clearly understand the nature of the faith that they profess. Three soils in the passage are professing a type of faith. And God is going to cause His Son to shine on all three of them, clearly revealing to them and to everyone else the nature of that faith. God does not want anyone to stand before Him on that day and say to Him, you know, I really thought all those years, I really thought that faith that I had was genuine. I'm just now learning that that faith wasn't real. God doesn't want that. So His Son will expose, S-U-N, will expose, will demonstrate, reveal the character or the nature of the faith of everyone who professes that faith. Once you profess faith, the sun's coming up. As soon as you profess that faith, the sun is coming up and that sun is coming up to show you the genuineness or the disingenuineness of that faith. So the second thing to see is now this. The same sun, notice this, the same sun is going to bring both death and life. Isn't that amazing? The same sun is going to shine on all the plants. There's nothing in the parable that leads us to believe that some of the plants are over here and other plants are over in this more shady area. They're all receiving the same sun. And the same sun is going to both kill and give life. The same sun will take life from those professors of faith that are shown to be disingenuous, as well as give life, as we're going to see in the good soil, to those whose profession is genuine. Notice with me in your notes. Well, we just saw from James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, right? Where James says, Can it all joy when you encounter testings of your, of your faith because it produces steadfastness? You see how the testing, the time of testing, produces life? But look with me in your notes at Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 is a wonderful little section that, that God gives to us that's going to parallel. In fact, I think that Jesus had this in mind when he's giving the, the parable of the soils. From James chapter, or, sorry, Jeremiah chapter 17, we read this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So God is making a comparison in this passage, and the comparison is one between one who puts faith or trust in the Lord and one who puts faith or trust in man or earthly things or man-made things. And the comparison is, is between these two. So the soils, the parable of the soils is making a comparison between something else, between the soils of the heart. So God is making a little bit of a different comparison, but he's using the same analogy. Look at what he says. He says, verse 6, He, meaning the man who trusts in man, he is like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So that's a picture of death. That's a picture of a, of a shrub that's struggling to survive. The scorching sun comes out. It's struggling to get enough water. It's struggling to live. But look at the comparison. Verse 7, But blessed is the man who trusts not in man, but trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He, verse 8, is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots into the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see the contrast? One is a tree that regardless of the conditions in the atmosphere is going to bring life. The leaves are green. Fruit is on the tree. It's abundant. Why? 
because of its root. Because its root is planted by the water, and so the root has a constant source of water. So drought can come, heat can come, uh, clouds can come, whatever can come, that tree will produce life. By comparison, the other tree struggles to even survive because of its root. Its root is not in the water. So you see the comparison between the two. This is why I think Jesus sort of had this in mind. So the comparison between the two parallels the comparison of the soils. It is the soil that determines the harvest. It is the soil that determines the life. But the same sun comes out. And for the one tree that's planted by the water, the sun only produces more life. For the tree that's planted not by the water, the sun is an agent of death. Notice how the sun brings both life to the rooted plant and death to the rootless plant. So now let's think now for just the next few moments about how this is going to work. How, what, is, what is it about the sun? The sun is going to be the agent that brings about the revealing of the nature of the faith. It's going to bring life to those who are in the good soil, those whose roots are in the good soil, it brings life, but then it brings death to those who are in the rocky soil. But how does it do this? How is this working? What about the sun causes this to happen? So in the parable, in Jesus' explanation, again, verse 16, he says this, and those are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So Jesus uses these two words here, tribulation and persecution. Matthew uses the same two words, tribulation and persecution. So let's, let's get a little bit at what Jesus is talking about here by the son representing the agent of tribulation and persecution. So first that word tribulation. The word tribulation literally means a pressing a pressing upon, a hemming in, a pressure exerted upon. In fact, we, use the, we see the word used in its regular, normal, secular type of, of usage with, uh, with frequency in the New Testament. In chapter 3, we saw Jesus uh, use this word. Remember when the crowds were pressing upon him and Jesus said, you know, get this little boat and have this little boat just in case the crowds crush me. Jesus said, just in case the, cr- the crowds tribulate me have a boat that I can escape in. So it can mean this literal pressing upon. Like think, think of a, a, a wine press, or a grape press that's pressing out of those grapes every ounce of juice. So the New Testament writers take this word that just means pressing or pressure, and they adapt it to have a spiritual meaning, which is to say not just pressure, but pressure exerted upon the believer by forces outside the believer such as culture, society, friends, family, loved ones, acquaintances, uh, job, health, sickness. We could go on and on. Pressure exerted upon the believer by something outside the believer. So notice how the New Testament is going to use it in this sense. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 4, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as, as it has come to pass. Now that word tribulation is often translated affliction. It means the same thing. Affliction or, persecu- or uh, tribulation, oppressing down. So you get the idea here. There's pressure. We know what pressure is like. Feeling this great pressure. It may be pressure from 
family or a spouse. It may be pressure from kids. It may be pressure from a job. It may be pressure from health problems. It may be pressure from financial problems. It may be any kind of pressure, but this is what the scriptures are getting at. This pressure that's exerted upon us. And Jesus says, on account of the word. So in, uh, think, think with me, for example, of how often we see that this tribulation or this pressure is a result of, as Jesus says, on account of the word. Think about Joseph, chapter 7 of Acts. We read of Joseph there that how he suffered many afflictions. And we think about the life of Joseph, of the pressures that were brought upon him, the pressures of being this young teenage boy who is gifted with these dreams and these, these visions from God and how that got him sideways with first his brothers and then sideways with his father. And then his father, of course, made it a lot worse with the, with the coat. Sometimes we say the coat of many colors, but it's actually much better translated the coat of long sleeves. In those days, if, if you were a person that did not work with your hands, then you would sometimes wear a coat with long sleeves to show everybody, hey, I don't have to work with my hands, so these long sleeves. So you can see why Joseph's, Joseph's brothers resented that. He was given this coat that showed he's the child, he's the son that doesn't have to work. So that brought more pressure upon him. And then more pressure comes as his, as his brothers finally have enough of him and his dreams, and they throw him in the pit and sell him into slavery. And then the whole pressure of his, of his owner's wife trying to sexually assault him, and then the pressure of being thrown into jail again, and then the dreams and how he's left in jail for years and years. All that pressure, Luke describes as afflictions or tribulations. But Jesus says that these pressures come upon them as a result or on account of the word. What does Jesus mean by tribulations on account of the word? So what I think the meaning there is that these pressures that are brought upon him Think of it this way. So back to this parable. The seed lands on a soil that receives it joyfully, springs up to life. So here's this person who has not placed himself under the preaching or the teaching of God's word, under the ministry of God's word for decades. Now they hear it and it strikes a chord. And that chord that it strikes tells them very plainly, there are things in your life that you need to bring into alignment to the word of God. There are, there are things in your thought patterns, in your attitude patterns, in your behavior patterns that you need to bring into alignment to the Word of God. And so in your joyful, immediate reaction, you begin attempting to align your life to the Word of God, which brings it immediately and automatically into confrontation with the world. Understand that very clearly. The Word of God stands in conflict with the world. And so the more you bring your life into alignment of the Word of God, the more you are automatically, necessarily bringing it into conflict or pressure from the world. The world will pressure the one who brings their life into alignment of the Word because the Word stands in contrast to the world. This is why Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 will tell us, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed. The two stand in opposition. So the seed has sprung up to quick and vibrant, apparently vibrant life. And immediately there begins this process of trying to bring the life in reality into conformity to the world, which automatically brings it into conflict with the world. I hope I said that right. 
into conformity with the word, but conflict with the world. Those two words are easy to mix up there, but the concepts aren't easy to mix up, are they? So to bring it into conflict with the world is bringing this tribulation. This is why the scriptures tell us that we will only enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. This is why the scriptures tell us that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We haven't talked about that word yet, but will be persecuted. So the scriptures aren't teaching us that everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ should expect to be fired from their job because their boss hates Christians. But instead, it is to say to us that everyone who brings their life into conformity of the word will find themselves under pressure from the world because the two are opposed to one another. So on account of the word, pressure is being received. But also the other word is persecution. That word persecution literally means to chase down or to pursue. That's why Paul will say to the Corinthians to pursue love. Literally, he says, persecute love, because that's the literal meaning of persecute, to chase down or to pursue. So the writers of Scripture take that word to pursue or to chase down, and they give it a spiritual meaning, which is to say to chase down or to pursue with a view towards applying pressure, with a view towards uh, tribulation with a view towards affliction. So tribulation is the pressure. Persecution is the chasing down to apply pressure. And those are the two things that Jesus says are represented by the Son. 